for some reason, I just got lucky and landed in this group of people who were incredibly um, motivated, bright, supportive, intelligent. And um, we'd go around the table and read these three pages. And then everyone in the group would give some feedback, not necessarily going around the table, but whatever you know, suggestions they had. However, Jill's focus in the group was not like being a critic. Jill's focus was, as a writer, how to solve the problem of the book. From Olsen Entertainment Group, this is Who Wrote That Book, where we interview authors and learn more about their life and work. Fall in love with your favorite author and story all over again. I'm Laura, and on this episode, enjoy Kathleen Tesoro's story on her book, Elegance, how she accidentally, or perhaps coincidentally, picked up a famous book by a French directrice that would lead her and inspire her to a successful writing career. So you're living in Pittsburgh, uh, you're from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, and which is fabulous, um, and you studied at the University of Pittsburgh, so is that where you fell in love with writing? What did you, what did you study there? So I, I never, <clears throat> it never occurred to me to be a writer. I don't know, I have quite, you know, <laughs> I have quite bad ADD. Um, so as a student back, you know, in the day, because I'm quite old, I was just um, the kind of person that never met their potential. There were a couple of things that interested me, one of them being art and art history, but um, I was not a good student. I was unable to complete tasks and finish assignments, or even do things that I really wanted to do. And I was never sure why, but I just felt like a bit of a fraud and a failure. Um, I've always been kind of um, affected. I'm like a creature of affectation. Even when I was like a little kid, like there are pictures of me as a toddler with like my grandmother's, like I'll be in like a diaper, but with like a a hat with a veil on it, just kind of making myself up as I go along. And, you know, you can certainly hear that I have this kind of bizarre mix of an accent. In my defense, I I lived for 24 years in England, and I was only too happy to take up that accent rather than my, you know, um, Pittsburgh accent. But, um, but to be honest with you, like the friends who have known me all my life will tease me that I had a weird accent like this way before I left Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, perhaps not as bad as this, but like, um, I'm just a uh, kind of, I don't know, 
Eccentric is too refined a word. I would say I'm just a creature of affectation. So you've got this um, kind of theatrical um, failure of a student bouncing all over the place, uh, trying to find something that I can do, mostly because I think I'm embarrassed. Like I'm embarrassed that I can't focus and get stuff done. And, and I went into drama because I'm a bit dramatic and uh, somebody once gave me some attention for being in a play. And I thought, well, there's something I can do. So I went to I went to drama school. I went first to the University of Pittsburgh and then to CMU for drama. And in my second year of the program there, I had an opportunity to go to England uh, and take a Shakespeare course. And I did, and I just didn't come back. Oh, London, especially during like the 90s. I mean, the end of the 80s and 90s, what a time. I mean, and what a city, you know, what a, what a brilliant city to fall in love with. And, you know, I married a series of men and I, I, I stayed there. And there was a while when I tried to be an actress and I'm not a very good actress. And, uh, you know, I had little bits and bobs. I did some plays. I did the odd commercial. I did a little tiny bit of television, that sort of thing. But I was unsuccessful. So most of the time I was working in box offices or at an opera house. And, you know, I was, you know, it was getting later and later in my life. I was probably in my late 20s or early, yeah, my early 30s. And uh, I met somebody at a party who was a writer. She was a well-established American writer who had lived in London too. And she and I were talking 10 to the dozen. And uh, she turned to me and she said, uh, her name is Jill Robinson. And she has a little girl voice. Like, for some reason, she's the most sophisticated, intelligent, bright woman with the most extraordinary history. But she has this funny little voice. And she turned to me and she said, I think you could be a writer. She said, why don't you come to my house on a Tuesday? Well, I've got a bunch of other women and we come round and have dinner. And then you have to read what you're working on. You know, and I said, well, I'm not working on anything. And she said, well, you're going to have to you're going to have to work on something and write a book out of that. Out of that conversation, I was like, oh, well, somebody thinks I might be able to write something. I started to write and I started to show up on a Tuesday evening at her home, which was in a beautiful part of town called Marlebone. And there were these other extraordinary women. There were about 12 of us. And we would show up around seven. And Jill would cook. And she was an excellent cook. But you could not eat unless you had three new pages of work to read. Hugely motivating. And these women were... Um, uh, for some reason, I just got lucky and landed in this group of people who were incredibly 
um, motivated, bright, supportive, intelligent. And um, we'd go around the table and read these three pages. And then everyone in the group would give some feedback, not necessarily going around the table, but whatever. However, Jill's focus in the group was not like being a critic. Jill's focus was, as a writer, how to solve the problem of the book. For me, a book is like a Rubik's Cube or something. It's a puzzle. Um, You've got a lot of different elements that you have to um, get going in the right direction, right? You've got plot, you've got character, you've got tone, you've got scene, you've got the language, the point of view, the pacing, blah, 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 right? And, you know, it's it's a big thing to learn. Uh, and when you're writing it and when you're doing it, it's, it's, it's hard to have any perspective. These women would give like, like, so when you first went to the group, I would, I would bring like my, the best three pages that I'd written because I was frightened, you know, and these, these girls could write, like they were wonderful writers, right? So I was like, ooh. But then after a while, you got to trust everyone and um, you started to bring the three pages that you didn't know what you were doing so that you could, you could say to this huge resource of people, I don't know why this doesn't work. And then you'd read it and they go, oh, well, do you know what? I think that, you know, for me, I was missing the transition here or something. Like they would give you truly constructive feedback. Like mentors kind of in a way. Absolutely. So it wasn't like, oh, no, I don't like the style of that. Or da, 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 da. It wasn't that. It was like, um, I can't get this to work the way I need it to work. Or I'm not sure what to do at this point. Um, and they would be like, well, what about this? Or, um, y- you know, uh, have you tried this? You know, like they would just like workshop it with you. And... That's how I I learned to write. When you were writing Elegance, were there um, a like, other events or characters in elegance that were inspired by your real life? Oh, definitely. But it's all fictionalized. It's all distorted. There isn't anything that's true in there. Because I, you know, went to drama school, you know, the method way of acting where you, (laughs) I don't know, you, you try and access the emotional reality of a character by tapping into your own experiences that may have been similar, for example. Taking that experience and utilizing it for a character in a scene. That's sort of like, because I'd been trained as an actor, that's what I figured you might do with writing, for example. You know, you know, this is the first time I'm even trying to do this. So there's a lot of different elements and a huge learning curve. And I'm like, well, if I can use some situations or some settings 
that I'm familiar with, I just don't, you know, that's, it's one extra thing that I haven't got to worry about the accuracy of it. You know, the characters themselves and, you know, the situations, even though I draw on my own experience, like, oh, I know what it's like to work at a box office, right? Um, that's not an accurate picture of what my experience is. But that was just because that was the best that I could do at the time. And that, I guess, leads me into the the Madame de, de Ro. Madame Dario. Did you come up with those? No, this is, um, this is a great story. So, like, when I'm a loser wandering around London, working in box offices, and I really don't have any money at all. In England, um, in order to have a television, you need to have a television license. And it pays for the BBC and stuff like that to make wonderful programs. But I was so poor, I didn't have the, the money for a, a television or a television license. So for many, many years, I lived without any television. And um, I spent most of my uh, <laughs> little bits of extra cash in secondhand and used bookstores. And I just, you know, had this opportunity to to do that. That's what I could afford. And that's what I did. So I'm in this secondhand bookstore that no longer exists on the Charing Cross Road in, uh, in the Trafalgar, like the Trafalgar Square stop. And um, it's, I'm browsing through all of these volumes and I find, and I don't know if you can see this. <gasps> I can. I find this book that is just called Elegance. So I'm going to pause and explain to you who Madame Dachreau is. It would be hard to continue to listen to this interview without fully understanding who and what this woman did. But first, before I get into it, picture yourself in Paris. The year is 1965. And the most iconic looks in fashion are beginning to divulge the industry. Next to legendary names like Yvonne Saint Laurent, Givenchy, and André Croquet, Madame Genevieve Antoine Dachreau created her name in the industry as a directrice for Nina Rouchy, and she ran her own fashion house. This woman is elegance. She wrote and published her own book called A Guide to Elegance for every woman who wants to be well and properly dressed on all occasions. She wrote this and published it in 1965. And that is the book that Kathleen just so happened to find in this used bookstore. I love that you still have this book. This book changed my life. It's this extraordinary book. So, you know, obviously I got to look at anything that says elegance. And it turns out that it's an encyclopedia of how to become an elegant woman written by a former directrice of the Nina Ricci Salon in Paris in the 1960s. So... That author's name is Genevieve Antoine Dario, Madame Dario. And so it's an encyclopedia. It goes from A to Z. 
and there are different entries in it. And she proposes to teach or show or demonstrate how, you know, how any woman can become elegant, right? So I think I bought this for £3.50, right? I have it for years on my bookshelf. And then when uh, Jill, I meet Jill at a party later and she invites me to this group, I have always been obsessed with this book, Elegance, and I've always been thinking about this book, Elegance, and I think, well, wouldn't it be interesting to write a story about some, somebody like, let me backtrack a little. The thing that's so fascinating about the real book, Elegance, is that um, Madame Dario is so certain, she's so certain of who she is what she is, um, what defines elegance, what a person should be, what a woman wants to be. She's got this absolute authority. Um, and so the details of how, you know, how she defines elegance in particular are kind of an important, unimportant. What's important is that she is so certain about what it is and why we should need it even as women. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to write a book about like a modern day person who is lost, trying to find that elusive quality that if she could just get this elusive quality, somehow her life would fit together. But so that was how I used that book. And then, um, then I structured my own novel in 26 chapters. So you went through the alphabet. There was a heading for each chapter. The first one was like age. The second was beauty. And it would, the chapter would begin with Madame Dario's advice. And then we would have, you know, this, <laughs> this kind of unfinished creature, Louise, trying to bumble through. And either take the advice or not take the advice or grapple with the concept or just somehow how she was going to react to this um, bit. You know, there were some that I truncated, there, there were some that I made up. And then when I, when there was somebody interested in representing me and selling the book, I wrote to Madame Dario in France. She lived in the south of France. She was in her early 90s. And I uh, showed her what, you know, what I had used in the novel and asked for her permission. And she very kindly gave it. Before they published it, I went and I visited her in the south of France. She was utterly extraordinary, wildly elegant, and hugely flirtatious with the husband that I had at the time. <laughs> and then when the book was published and enjoyed some success, HarperCollins, who published it, both here and like in America and in the UK, they republished her original book of elegance. You're kidding. Yeah, so it kind of came around full circle. She did far more for me than I did for her, but she, um, it was this 
bizarre and wonderful story of finding some little random chip, you know, floating on the ocean, you know, not knowing why you your mind won't let something go. And then I, you know, she had this huge connection. Uh, she made it possible for me without her, without her generosity, you know, I, I never would have gotten the opportunity to publish it. Wow. How, how did you end up publishing it? Like, did you know someone that was a publisher or did you just kind of walk in the building and said, publish my book? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first off, you have to consider the time period. So we're talking, you know, what, 2000. So it was a very different atmosphere. Amazon was only just beginning. The way that books were were sold was completely and utterly different. And that is important to remember. Sometimes uh, people who want to, you know, other authors ask me, you know, um, how can I get an agent or how can I, you know, how can I get published? And I have to admit that I know nothing about the atmosphere that we're in now. It was a different world. You went to a bookstore. They were everywhere. You know, the thing about having a coffee in a bookstore was only just new. Bookstores were huge. You know, people used to just go and hang out in bookstores and certainly in major cities. You know, that was the case. So, um, and it was shortly after books like Bridget Jones's Diary. And that was kind of a real shift in what they describe or what they used to describe as women's fiction. And women's fiction previously had been more um, bodice rippers, sort of romantic stories. Um, but certainly, um, Bridget Jones was like a template for a very different kind of women's fiction, which was much more um, down to earth and relatable and um, just uh, didn't take itself quite so seriously. And so there was this huge, huge market for women's fiction. They were spending a lot of money on it. I, you know, I finished my book. I got, I don't know, seven or eight different, maybe nine, I can't remember, different agents, addresses. And at that time, you sent off 50 pages, the first 50 pages, a covering letter, a little brief synopsis, right, in a self-addressed stamped envelope. And I got my self-addressed stamped envelopes back. Sometimes like little little cards, like just little form letters that were copyrighted form, like just not photocopied, photocopied form letters, like, you know, just said, you know, we're not interested. I got one that said, we only publish what we love. We don't love your book. That was it. It was like two lines. Did that uh, like unmotivate you? Was that just heartbreaking when you got those back? Well, you got to consider I've been an actress and I've been a bad actress. I I'd gone to a lot of auditions where people kind of said that to your face. It wasn't like I, that aspect was, was new. You know, it's not fun. That's the process. 
And then a friend of mine who was from the group uh, said, you know, I, I've got an, an agent. Why don't you send it to him? And he was this real hotshot young agent. He got back to me. He said, I've read your manuscript. Um, I'd like to meet with you. And I went and I met with him and I spent 45 minutes with him. He had my manuscript on his lap. It was covered in red ink with corrections and notes. And I sat down. He didn't praise me at all. He just, he launched into 45 minutes of notes. Then he said, right, okay. And he stood up. And I, and I, I said to him, does, does, does this mean that you're my agent? And he said, well, the Frankfurt Book Fair is in two weeks. Do these rewrites in two weeks and then we'll see. That's what I did. I, you know, did the rewrites um, and he ended up selling it at the Frankfurt Book Fair. It like went to auction or something. But like he later told me that if I had not been able or willing to take his notes, he would never have taken me on. So the fact that he, he gave me notes, which were justified, and I actually paid attention to his criticism and, you know, altered the material to make it better and rewrote it, um, he said to me, then I knew that you were the real deal. I mean, I only really want to share that in case there's anyone who is interested in, you know, getting published, that um, that, that was my experience and that, you know, uh, agents and editors want to know that that they can communicate with you and that you are going to at least try their suggestions out, right? Do you, are you still working with that publisher with your other books? Because I know you've written five, five more after Elegance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and then when I moved back to the United States, um, that agent is affiliated with another agent here in New York City. So I have this wonderful, beautiful, viciously intelligent female editor um, here in New York. She's such an intelligent and um, to the point woman. I'm completely in her thrall. Wow. I love that. I guess back to the Frankfurt Fair. Is that where your book took off or was it a while? Did it take a while uh, for you to see the success and, you know, the rewards of your efforts and things like that? I had a really um, abnormal experience. I had a, 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 it was bizarre. So I, I rewrote the book and I sent it to my, you know, would-be agent. And he must have touted it around Frankfurt or, but it went to auction amongst um, a number of other uh, publishing houses uh, in the UK and then, you know, in the US. And, and that was just very odd because I was still getting those self-addressed stamped envelopes back in the mail. 
there was like a week where I went to meet with like the top three publishers who had bid on it. And that included like Random House or Penguin or something like that. And so like, you know, I put on this little suit and I, you know, I go to Random House and they've got a team that are pitching me about how they're going to sell this book, right? Which is so weird because I I know nothing. And then I go home and there on my doorstep is a self-addressed stamped envelope, you know, again, with another rejection letter. I think it's clear evidence that, um, you know, don't worry if somebody can't see that vision. Not only that, but they get a lot of interns to read all those. Um, so uh, you could be well be rejected by, you know, an 18-year-old, which is not to just, you know, say that 18-year-olds don't have good taste, but, you know, you're not necessarily being rejected by the person you're applying to. So, uh, and then I, I, you know, I had this bizarre experience of Harper Collins really going for this book and promoting it, and um, and that's another thing. Uh, books are successful because publishing houses promote them. I know that nowadays there are other forms through blogs and social media and da 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 and there is nothing like the weight of a publishing house when they when they put their money on something then you know it is very likely to sell a lot of books and the reason why i say that is because it's not like um it's not like the material is better or worse than anything else. It's what they put their money behind. And I don't, I don't mean that cynically. I just mean that factually. So again, if people have had experiences being published, but, you know, not had that huge weight of publicity and marketing behind them, you know, it's a really different experience. And I've had the experience of having that money and that, you know, that interest and I've had the experience when it when they're not that interested. So um, you know, they make things a hit or they or or not really. When you said that weight, knowing that HarperCollins is putting this money behind your book and it's a fabulous book, but when you're in the moment, you know, back then, how how are you feeling? Do you remember? Laura, I can just I can tell you that I remember being John, my, my agent asked me, he said, okay, they're going to put their final bids in today. And this was all like within like a month from meeting him for the first time. Because, you know, things happened very quickly at that time. Um, and he said, well, you know, come after, like I was working as a receptionist somewhere. And, and uh, you know, come after work and they're going to, these three different publishing houses are going to, you know, phone in their final bids. And I was like, oh. So I I went to his office and they phoned in these ridiculous amounts of money. And, you know, uh, he was really pleased. But I can say that, I mean, that was a long time ago, 20 years ago, 22 years ago or something. I have never gotten over that moment. I I had like an out-of-body experience. You know, it was super fucking surreal. I was having this out-of-body experience being like, you know, what? You know, um, 
And <laughs> and I've never, like, any time I think about it, I go right back to that sort of I'm floating on the ceiling feeling. I, I've, I, it's never made sense to me. Like, I've never gotten over it. It's, it's never seemed like, oh, yes, of course that would happen. You know, of course they were going to buy it. Like, that's, that's never been, like, I never feel like that. I, I always feel just as amazed as now as I did then. Do you still feel that way with your other books? I, I read that your most recent one, uh, Rare Objects, that one's uh, being written as a screenplay. Oh, it's more than that. <laughs> you, you know, what's fun about that is is that um, Katie Holmes optioned it. Yeah, she she optioned that a couple of years ago, and uh, then she wrote a screenplay for it, and um, she updated it so she put it in our world today. She made it her own, and then she directed it, and she directed it last November. And I got to be an extra in the film. That's so fun. <laughs> oh, it was, I was like, so, I was so excited. <laughs> Your acting dreams, they're finally coming all together. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just, it was so hugely enjoyable to, um, like, walk onto these sets where all of these talented people had created, like, a lot of it took place in an antiquities shop. And they had created, they had rented an empty retail space in Soho and created a shop. And they'd curated all of these different objects. I mean, they'd gone to so much trouble. And it was so rewarding to, um, to see what other people did with it. You know what I mean? Like not to be alone, just me in my head writing stuff, but to uh, have all these really interesting, bright young people bringing all of these other ideas and you know making something else out of it you know i found that to be incredibly liberating really i was super excited about it and um i was so grateful that she let me like have that little hitchcock moment where i got to be sort of around it was just really really kind oh my goodness i had no idea about you know the other details of that that is amazing that and the madame dario's story are like really just amazing experiences to have had in my life not not necessarily for what they did for me so much as like a huge affirmation about how endlessly amazing the world is just what a wonderful way of like madame dario gave me permission and i got to make something from her original work and then in a weird way in a different way um katie then you know took something that i wrote and was able to make something original out of that i want people to know if they are writers out there that are listening and feel like they're struggling. I want to acknowledge that that's not a normal story and that for what it's worth, I think that the fact that I was not trained in English literature or to be a writer was in a weird way, hugely helpful because I, um, 
I did not know any better. My expectations uh, of myself were so modest that I just did it because, you know, I wanted to go eat roasted chicken and latkes at Jill's house and to be with these other women. What was going to happen was going to happen for me. But I think that if you perhaps, I don't know for certain, because obviously I haven't, I haven't studied, you know, English literature and writing, but I was never daunted by the task because there was nobody there to say that I, you know, that I shouldn't try or that I wasn't going to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Not everyone works in the same way, writes in the same way, has the same process. And certainly don't burden yourself under the idea that you have to be original. Thank you for listening to this episode of Who Wrote That Book featuring Kathleen Tesaro. It was such a thrill and an adventure to hear her story. You can visit her on her website at KathleenTesaro.com to learn more about her and her other books as well. Follow us on Instagram at Who Wrote That Book to be updated with upcoming events, behind the scenes, and more. Share the love as always, and leave a review. It helps us to know what you're thinking about the show, feedback, and it helps us to be easier to find on all streaming platforms. We'll see you guys later on the next episode of Who Wrote That Book?